welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, you know what it is. Uh, we've got a big week ahead. We've got guests, Barton. We've got guests. Yeah, we got we got 24-7 flexing our muscles, bringing in one of the, gr- the all-time greats in the network, the great Wes Rucker at 24-7 Sports. Go Vols 247. Uh, you know, this is the time to talk balls because, man, it is an interesting time to be in Knoxville. It is an interesting time to be in Knoxville, and that is the theme of this show because uh, the the Tennessee program, the Tennessee 2017 outlook is full of questions. And that's why our theme for this show, Barton, is about the big questions. It's about the, you know, the camp is starting, the pads are popping, and we are talking about uh, the questions that we have. So... We are going to pitch back and forth before we get to Wes Rucker of Go Vols 24-7. We're going to do our big questions for this week. All right, big questions for this week. Barton, you get to go first. Let's go. Okay. Let's go to the national championship Clemson Tigers because here's what I know about the Clemson Tigers. Here's what we know. They got that ring. They got a ring. They have the best defensive line in the country, and they have the talent – in that program and on that field to run it back again and win another national championship. But Deion De- Kane ain't going nowhere. He's still there. But Wes, who's going to get Deion Kane the football? And that's where the real question lies. And and right now, heading into the fall, I, I guess you're going to call Kelly Bryant the starting quarterback. But it's very much a competition. It's wide open. As I tell these guys all the time, there's no lifetime contracts. Uh, you know, you got to be the best guy. Uh, you know, all the time. You got Kelly Bryant, you got redshirt freshman Zarek Cooper, and you have true freshman Hunter Johnson, who some called one of the best quarterbacks in last year's class. He was highly rated, highly regarded, highly recruited. And man, this is ultimately a, a quarterback that's going to emerge out of this race that has a chance to lead this team to a national championship. So my question is, A, who's it going to be? B, when are we going to figure that out and C, is that guy going to be good enough to take this team where it can go? Ooh, all right. So a uh, couple reactions to this. Number one, we've got to remember that when Deshaun Watson, yes, Deshaun Watson had some health issues that prevented him from playing 12 games during his first season uh, actively at Clemson. But at the same time, you know, like that, we're going to start Cole Stout against Georgia, but then even when Deshaun comes in, and throws a ball on a friggin' rope, we're going to still stick with Cole Stout. That, for me, Barton, is going to make me like think that Kelly Bryant is going to be the starter. He's going to be the starter for game one. Uh, they got their like warm-up game. Game two is going to be Auburn in Death Valley. I think that Kelly Bryant's the starter there. Here is the interesting thing, because we talked about the, the player moving forward. Uh, I have not, until... Uh, summer camp, like summer winded down and fall camp opened up. I had been overlooking Zarek Cooper. So let me pitch this back to you because one of my, one of my good, uh, one of my well-placed sources in the upstate of South Carolina 
told me that maybe I was overlooking Zarek Cooper as the guy. Hunter Johnson certainly has had all of the accolades. Kelly Bryant seems like the safe pick. Why is Zarek Cooper being overlooked in this, and why should we take him more seriously as somebody that can come in and really make a difference for the Tigers? Because I think the the third answer, you know, the third question, like can whoever is the quarterback lead them to the national championship? I think that answer is no. I think that Clemson falls short of the college football playoff because of a couple trap games on their schedule, one of which uh, being at NC State on Halloween weekend uh, after they escaped NC State when NC State missed a 33-yard field goal lined up in the middle of the field when it was 17-17 in regulation. But karma aside, I think that this is just a year where it's going to be tough to beat Florida State because Florida State's one of the best teams in the country. So why am I and maybe some other people overlooking Zarek Cooper in this Clemson quarterback debate? Because he's the man in the middle. Because he is, you know, he, he's not the upperclassman. He's still young. He's athletic, but he's not a freak. He's... He, if you're if you're not going to go with the true freshman Hunter Johnson, then why are you going to go with the redshirt freshman with bar- barely any more experience? Um, I actually think the guy is Kelly Bryant. I don't think Hunter. I was never as high on Hunter Johnson as Ooh, we had him ranked. Yes, I love this. This is like one of my favorite things about doing podcasts with you, Barton. Is like <laughs> you're because because your takes are so like unique and sharp to you, and it's not the twenty four seven sports composite. It is not the twenty four seven sports consensus. Like you got an eye for this. You played this game. You play college football. You've been scouting dudes for like a decade. Like you know this. Like I, I love I, I love the fact that you're off Hunter Johnson just because too many people are on it. I know. So, and, and, I mean, with Hunter Johnson, he's he is talented without question. He's talented, and and he's got an unbelievable arm and all that sort of thing. But I was never impressed with the way he handled pressure. I was never impressed with the way you know I saw him at big games throw interceptions. I saw him um, when the spotlight was the brightest struggle a little bit. And so I just don't know if he's got that sort of intangible it factor to be ready as a freshman. He could be ready eventually. But I don't think he's a fresh out of the box guy, and and I want to take you back to Kelly Bryant's high school career too. This kid threw for 3,500 yards as a senior with 41 touchdowns. He rushed for another 720 yards. Like this kid is talented. I also think, to answer the final question, if Kelly Bryant is the quarterback without question, and he gets the, you know, he has the coaches backing, and he's not looking over his shoulder all year. I actually, I don't necessarily, I'm not predicting them to win a national championship, but my hunch is that Kelly Bryant is good enough for this team to win a national championship. Would you believe that Alabama, and I know Alabama lost to Clemson, but they, they didn't lose because of Jalen Hurts. They lost just because Clemson was a better team. So if you had replaced Jalen Hurts with this year's Kelly Bryant last year on Alabama's team, do you think Alabama would have still been in the national championship game? Because I, I do think that Clemson could be on that Alabama level defensively because of that defensive front. Wow. No, I don't. I I mean, I, I had this conversation with somebody this weekend. I just think that Deshaun Watson is one of the most unique college football players that we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. You know, I, like, you're right. like, yeah. like I just – he went 28-2 and two in the last two years as a starter. Like that's unbelievable. Like he's, he's special. I agree. I agree. But hey, I, before we move on, because I know we got, we got a lot of questions to get to. So last point on this. As good as Deshaun Watson is, and he is an absolute beast, especially in the biggest games, especially in the brightest spotlight. But this weekend, they were playing the 
on ESPN Classic or whatever. They're playing the top oh, 25 e- games yeah, of ES- last year. ESPNU's been running them games. I've got them I'm, all DVR'd right now. I'm catching some Clemson games, and I'm being reminded, like, that dude was far from perfect during the regular oh, season. Oh, he threw mad <laughs> dumb passes. He threw there a were, bunch of dumb passes. Not you know, dumb passes, overthrown, touchdown passes. Like, he was far from perfect. I, I give him all the credit in the world for being about perfect in the national championship game and when it all mattered. But, man, he left them open for some uh, some losses during the season. So uh, I, I I would suspect Kelly Bryant can be good enough. But, man, it, it'll be – and the other thing, too, before we move on, they're going to have to decide who's not in this race. Ooh, and cut it down from three to two and get these guys reps and figure it out because if they're going to play three quarterbacks all the way up to uh, whatever their opener is, Kent State, then that's, you know, th- that's going to be a problem. They need to get two guys and let them race it out. Yeah, that Auburn game on September 9th is uh, – huge like you can't you can't be playing around Um, ready ready to roll on that one all right so speaking of the quarterback position there is uh some confidence around lsu this season and danny etling isn't doing it for me but darius geis absolutely does geis another good game and broken tackles geis out into the open breaks another one and he will score uh, you might find in your local grocery store, in your local uh, pharmacy, in your local Rite Aid, or whatever it may be, a really well-produced, stud-written CBS Sports, Beckett Sports, 24-7 Sports, Scout Sports SEC preview, where Darius Geis is one of uh, the cover athletes. Barton wrote for it. Chip wrote for it. And my question here. Because I think that the LSU optimism is based around a couple of things. Number one, we know for a fact that Dave Aranda, like Barton, catch me on this one. True or false? Dave Aranda is one of the top defensive coordinators in the game. True? No question. And Matt Canada's stock is rising because not only did he get it done uh, at Wisconsin, but at Pittsburgh, he was able to feature even more than uh, Connor. He was able to get James Conner involved. He was able to get uh, Quadri Olison involved. He was able to get Quadri Henderson involved. Like, like Matt Canada and Dave Aranda, you've got to think that LSU has a, a stud OCDC combo, right? Maybe the best in the country. What happens if Darius Geis gets hurt? Great question. And... LSU has recruited well at running back. They do not have Darius Geis behind Darius Geis. They're, last year, they had Darius Geis behind Leonard Fournette. Right, and that was the thing. is like Fournette got banged up so much that like when Darius Geis came out, we were like, yo. But I don't think that – like I, I'm very, very nervous about the, uh, the, like, uh, the number of intangibles that it takes for LSU to have a 10-win season. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Where it's like okay. you're betting on a lot of things to all work out perfectly. Chip, I'm ready for this one. I, I got this one. All right. A couple of things. Number one, I do not expect Darius Geis to break any of the records he set last year at LSU because I do not expect Darius Geis to get the stupid, insane workload that he got last year. This is what Matt Canada does. He gets his playmakers the football, but he spreads it around too. He's going to get touches to a lot of different people. He's going to have multiple backs in there that can get touches. He's going to get all. He's going to get tight ends. And, and receivers and shuffle passes and jet sweeps. And, and Darius Geis is not going to get a crazy workload, okay? That's number one. So, and number two is if he does get hurt, if he has a freak accident and he, gets, he tears Achilles or something like that, 
then I do think that Matt Canada is equipped to, again, get guys the football and, and make defenses uh, and put them in compromising situations. So that it's, it's, he's not necessarily leaning on the playmakers, but he's, he's leaning on the scheme. Um, that you can't do it all with that. You can't win a title with that, but you can certainly score some points. So I think that they can make do a couple of games if they have to without guys. Now, here's my other point. Danny Etling inspires nobody. I get it. I know. I understand. But I, I want to bring this to your attention. Please do because, <laughs> I mean, Barton, I'm, I am so limp for Danny Etling. Okay. Understood, man. And, and for good, you know, I don't expect you to be excited about Danny Etling. But I, w- I wonder, Chip, how excited you were about Nathan Peterman last year before the season prior because- hey, hey, prior to him showing up you got it like i was i was sitting in the pit offices uh prior to the 2016 season uh watching matt canada draw up jet sweeps starting to call out blocking schemes because i was so excited about their o-line and so uninspired by the quarterback position i i'm with you like i i didn't think peterman was anything but 2200 yards passing as a junior 61 complete 61 percent completions 20 touchdowns and seven interce- or eight interceptions. That was Nathan Peterson's line as a junior. After he had had basically no stats to speak of in his career prior to that, he his one start at Tennessee was an absolute disaster. Looked like he was an incompetent quarterback. Then he has a very mediocre junior year, and then he plays under Matt Canada for one season and gets drafted to the NFL draft. Okay, now I'm not saying Danny Etling is going to play in the NFL, but his stats are not that far off from what Danny Etling's were as a junior. 2,100 yards passing. 59.5% completion, 11 touchdowns, five interceptions in an offense that was as uncreative as it could ever be in a, in a conference that plays as good a defense as anywhere in the country. I believe that Matt Canada is going to do wonders for Danny Etling, which will do wonders for Darius Geis, which will do wonders for the LSU offense. Call me a believer in Matt, Can- in Matt Canada, but I, I think that there's a real chance LSU is a fun, fun team to watch. Speaking of this weekend, Chip, I watched that pit Clemson game, man, it's a blast to watch that pit team. The creative ways they get the football to players, the the difference, false indicators and motions and and all kinds of stuff that they do to make defense, make it tough on defenses. I'm just telling you, man, LSU fans, uh, they better wake up when they got they have the ball this year because it's going to be fun to watch. It's uh, I'm I'm a Matt Canada believer. I'm with you. It's it, I'm just not a Danny Etling believer. You're gonna, you're like your evidence. Your evidence to convince me and Danny Etling was Matt Canada, and uh, and not Danny Etling. So okay, let me give you one more Danny Etling nugget. All right, when Danny Etling, I liked him coming out of high school. He played a horrible high school team. He took a beating every week, but he had a big arm and he was talented and he was tough. He goes to Purdue. He takes a beating every week, and but he was. He was still talented and he was still tough, and they, but their, their team was terrible. When he transferred to LSU, I said, and, and everyone was like, oh, who's this like, kind of nobody transferring from Purdue who just couldn't, you know, wasn't starting for a terrible team? I said he was, I thought he was going to win a job. I thought he would win that starting job eventually if he got a fair shake. He got it. He won the job. He was very uninspiring, I admit, but he was better than what they had. I think he can improve from where he was last year. I, I do think there's a ceiling on him. Like I think it's a it's it's you know he's, but but I I just I'm not ready to give up on Danny Etling as a capable SEC quarterback. All right, all right. So uh, <laughs> you don't sound convinced, but that's nah. all right. That's nah, all right. because you don't need to be uh, like 
Like I understand the the quarterback level in the SEC has improved across the board, but there's also a ceiling to my expectations in the SEC West when I believe that Alabama is that much ahead of everybody else. So there is that level of Danny Etling if he is capable, like can be Jarrett Lee good, you know? Yeah, I th- yeah. And that's the thing is like And that's, that's not bad. That's, like Jarrett Lee good is still playing for titles. That's I think where the distinction is like he doesn't have to be great he's just got to be good and i think that the you know the offensive line and the running backs and the o coordinator will take care of the rest all right cool all right so you got the next question what's your question who's gonna be the starting receiver in michigan (laughs) all right we got like what like nine names up here all right, I'll throw some at you. Kakoa Crawford, Tariq Black, Donald Peoples-Jones, Nate Shinley, Grant Perry, Eddie McDoom, Nate Johnson, Oliver Martin, Nico Collins, it's a silly list. They're so talented. Like this, I got all right, so I got Grant Perry as a name I recognize. I got Eddie McDoom as a name that Barton has thrown at me in the last week or so on this podcast. <laughs> like Nico Collins sounds good because uh, I'm a big Lou Reed fan and I really like uh, some sixties like alternative art rock. Like like what's what's the deal here? Because I am I, I have been ready to sell the idea that Michigan is ready to be good at the skill position. And from our podcast, I know for a fact that you are more confident in the Wolverines than I am. So like, so sell me on not only who is starting at wide receiver, but sell me on the fact that they're going to be ready to, uh, to give Wilton Spate some good options after a lot, a lot of receptions are gone with no more Chesson, no more Darbo, no more Jake, but, Barton, sell me on this. <laughs> okay, okay. Look, I hear you. All right, but here's the thing. The reason why this is important is because Wilton Spate is kind of just a guy. He's not a put-you-on-his-shoulders quarterback. I, I've expressed to you my doubts about Wilton Spate. So he's going to need dudes on the outside. He's going to need playmakers. And I think this is a one of the more talented wide-receiving rooms in the country. They're just a bunch of names that nobody knows yet. But these are dudes that are absolutely, like, if they get the chance, they're studs. Um, yeah, they lost 57 receptions for Amara Darbo. They lost 35 with J.U. Chesson, 46 with Jake Butt. But, you know, I think Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones are among the best true freshman candidates in the country at wide receiver. Kakoa Crawford, I think, has a chance to be really good. I'll go maybe Grant Perry, Nate Shinley, who's a walk-on among that group, and maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones jumping in there. But I guess the point of this question isn't necessarily who. It's just a matter of which of the three is going to step in and are they going to be ready to, to, to put serious production up. Um, because I still think this Michigan team is one of the most talented teams in the country. They're just one of the least experienced. And this is one of those spots, along with corner and defensive back, where they need guys, young guys, inexperienced guys to step up and be, be bosses. All right, so speaking of the defensive side of the ball, one of my questions, big question, uh, we talked about it a little bit with the Big 12, but I, I want to break into it a little bit more. Oklahoma State, as we've gotten closer and closer to the season, as fall camp has opened, uh, the vibe that they might have some 2011-type season, some 2011-type feelings, like Mason Rudolph, like looking good, James Washington back, like one of the best quarterback-wide receiver combos. There has not been, from what I've been able to tell, enough like good feelings behind the thought that Oklahoma State could have a championship-level defense for people to jump on the Cowboys as a potential playoff dark horse. Like When I'm looking at the very early uh, 
projected playoff picture, not only is the Big 12 getting left out, but Oklahoma State is not even the Oklahoma school that's getting included. So can Oklahoma State field a championship slash playoff level defense in the Big 12 this year? Barton, what do you think? I, I don't know, man. My hunch is no. And oh, I, man. No, God, please, no. 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 I, and, and look, I'm going to be the first to admit, like, there's a little bit of ignorance here in terms of uh, – I, I just don't – I'm not familiar enough with their personnel to sit here and stand on the table and say, man, this this group is going to get it done. Listen, but, dude, hey, like, all right, so my boy Kyle Porter, uh, who does the golf podcast, is Oak State. Like, he gets it. And he's got the same shruggy emoji that you do, man. Like, don't feel bad about that. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he knows – like, he played baseball at Oklahoma State – he uh, helps us out on the college football side, covering some Oklahoma State stuff from time to time. And even he's like, "Yeah, we'll see." You know, like this is this is a weird this is a weird spot for the Cowboys because we're excited about Mason Rudolph, we're excited about James Washington, we love Mike Gundy's mullet, but this defense, man, I don't, I got no confidence. I, I agree, and and <clears throat> it's still it goes back to our Big Twelve talk too. If if this was this defense in last year's Big 12, I might be a little more confident that this they, they could be good enough to, you know, to get to the the playoffs. But I, I just think this Big 12 is is a, is better enough that it's going to be a, a really tough task. I, you know, there's there's teams that can score points. There's also teams that will play defense and 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 make your defense go back out there um, and and get some stops. You know, I just <clears throat> I don't I, again. I, I can't get confident in this defense yet. I'm gonna try to look. I'm gonna try to watch the hell out of that Tulsa Oklahoma State game. I might watch Tulsa, or I might watch Oklahoma State South Alabama. Um, I'm gonna dig into Oklahoma State the first three weeks of the season because I got I want to figure it out. But I, I right now I, I don't see it yet. Hey, bro, that uh, that Tulsa Oak State game is going to be one hell of a workout for Oak State's DBs. <laughs> And, and and we'll find out something right about yeah, no, no doubt because too. Philip Montgomery's gonna come up. Yeah, yeah dude <laughs> Philip Montgomery's gonna come out here ready to roll son he like that is that is gonna be uh seven on seven football right there it's like that game uh and then like Carolina a, Cal is another good early game that'll be some good seven on seven work They'll yeah be that's it. a sneaky fun game to watch that opening week like yeah. that's that's one to put on your schedule it might be like it might be over midway through the third quarter, but it's going to be at least a fun half of, of wide open football. <laughs> all right, uh, give me get, throw throw a question at me. All right, all right. Wisconsin, Ooh. if they are going to win a Big Ten title and get to the college football playoffs, do they have a defensive coordinator in his second year ever coaching football to get it done? Jim Leonard, the former defensive back, NFL kicker putt return extraordinaire in his second year coaching is the defensive coordinator Wisconsin I think I've got that number I think he was a DB last year in his first year and uh, maybe hung around Dave Aranda the year before that just to get a feel for things in Wisconsin as like a volunteer assistant but essentially he's three years into his career as a coach after playing in the NFL he's he's like 38 or something and this is a third DC in three years at Wisconsin and it's almost like it doesn't matter if Brett Bielema is the coach. It doesn't matter if Paul Chris is the coach, if Gary Anderson is the coach. It doesn't matter who the D.C. is. Wisconsin always looks like Wisconsin. But I got to wonder, Chip, is it going to catch up to them this year? 
this will be really fascinating to watch a young DC go to work this year. Yeah, I think that the young DC is not going to be a huge issue yet, but that's only because they've still got so much in place from what was like the Wisconsin quarterback situation last year was bad. Wasn't pretty. Wasn't pretty. Like Wisconsin offense in general last year, not great. And we're still talking about a team that was playing at a championship level. Uh, there's some turnover on the personnel side. I don't think there's turnover on the culture side. I think that the challenge for Jim Leonard won't be in 2017. I think it's going to be moving forward. And I think it's going to be on the recruiting trail to make sure that they've got the bodies to be able to replace, uh, To I mean, like to be able to replace like all Big Ten players all through the front seven and in the secondary. Like this year won't be the year that things get really, really challenging, but I've got faith in Jim Leonard. Where are you at? Well, I, I, I see about eight projected senior starters on defense. Uh, they, they returned seven from last year's team on defense. I, I agree. Like any other team, I'd say this is concerning. <laughs> I'd be like, this is, I don't know what to think about this, but it's just Wisconsin and it doesn't matter. It doesn't, Barry Alvarez is the AD and nothing else matters. I mean, Paul Chris is a is proven to be a really good coach, and Wisconsin is going to do Wisconsin. And I, I'm with you. I, I think they they're not changing the scheme. They're not changing the system. It's basically a, a similar system to what they've been running. So, like, just because Wilcox is gone doesn't mean that they're going to flip things around. Right. But it, it it you know, and Jim Leonard's been around a lot of football, but when when the heat is on on Saturday nights. You know, I it, we'll see if 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 he's got it, but I, I expect he probably does. And I think Wisconsin continues to be one of my favorite teams this year. All right, this was one of your questions, so I'm going to throw it back at you, just because we are uh, we're, we're starting to go up against the time, and I know that you had it on your mind. So Marcel Harris, this injury, where are we at in terms of Florida's secondary, not only for this season, but after having the Gators secondary be something that I kind of feel like we could count on for basically dating back to the must champ days, you know, like what are we expecting from Florida's back defensive backfield, especially in the context of an sec East. And, and we will go out on this leading into uh West Rucker talking about Tennessee, but you know, how does the Marcel Harris injury shape the way that we look at Florida and the sec East in general uh, going into the 2017 season? Well, I, I, look, I think the Marcel Harris injury is big, and I think you, you you might think it's bigger than I do. That was the thing is I, I I thought that when I saw your text, I was like, oh man, you're right. You know, like I hadn't thought of it that way, and that's why I'm glad we do this podcast, by the way. But like, I I just had thought that the status quo is that the Gators were good on the backside. Well, I mean, last year. It was really about the defense. Their their front their their defensive line was great. Their linebackers had two borderline first rounders. Their secondary had three borderline first rounders. Um, and now they lose Marcel Harris, who guess what? Their leading tackler last year wasn't Gerard Davis or Marcus May or Alex Anzalone. It was Marcel Harris. And but, I, I think but like that, I didn't know Nick Washington until Nick Washington was awesome. You know, you're right. No, you're right. And Nick Washington may step in there, and, and Chauncey Gardner may back in. You know, make may. may move back and play on the back end but i here's like they've got michigan right out of the shower in the morning on on week one and 
I'm not as worried about who's going to be back there in defending the pass. I just know Michigan is going to make them make Florida and, and whoever's playing safety prove to them he's tough enough. And it's going to be about fitting the run game. And I, I guess this floor, like I, I'm waiting for Florida to, to take a step back. And I don't know if this is the year it's going to happen. I suspect there may be a step back coming eventually. But if they don't take a step back this year, man, forget it. Like I'm just I'm I'm picking Florida like indefinitely to win the East because th- there's there's some holes. There's some there's I think that there's a little bit of a a backward slide. And I think Marcel Harris matters to this defense. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I don't know. To me, that's that that is a meaningful loss. That's it. You think? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think Marcel Harris matters in this defense, and I think they got Michigan week one. All right, so and, all right, so who do you think? Do you think Malik Zaire is going to be the starting quarterback there? Yes, I do think Malik Zaire is going to yeah. be the starting quarterback there. I know, and I'm so uninspired by it. Uninspired. I, I'm, uh, that does not like that do anything for me. Yeah, like Malik Zaire might as well be uh, like. Like he he might as well just be another like oh and yeah Jordan Scarlett's gonna be okay eighty yards a game like I'm just <laughs> like I'm, he's just I, another just another guy on offense that's like okay they got a couple receivers Antonio Callaway and Tyree Cleveland but- dude Tyree Cleveland I've been waiting for that guy to be nasty for a long time Antonio Callaway obviously is a phenomenal talent but like I'm I'm with you man I if Florida gets it done this year I'm done picking against them I I agree. Yeah, this is this is a this is a, going to be a, a really interesting year to watch them. Um, but I, I the the other quarterback battle I think that's really interesting is the Miami quarterback battle. <laughs> like that one, talk about an uninspiring quarterback battle. Look, I I have I have very little opinion one way or the other on Malik Rozier and uh, uh, Evan Sheriffs. Like I don't, I think those guys can play. Uh, Malik Rozier is has started but i miami i think could be starting a true freshman by mid-season in the oh perry. dude cosi perry is the dude it's just a question of when he's ready like and and the thing about uh the sheriff like man that like you're not gonna the only thing that makes uh like right, malik rogier if he is inaccurate with the ball then it, it goes to sheriffs and it the only thing that makes sheriffs uh, a big problem is if he gets stuck in third and long because I think that he can uh, hand the ball off to Mark Walton or be able to to dump it off to an Amon Richards and hopefully like good like the Miami quarterback position to me Barton is one hundred percent dependent on what we are expecting from that defense from Manny Diaz and from a crew of Miami linebackers that ended up starting as true freshmen like Shaq Quarterman the rest of that group. They came in and they just said, you know what? Forget all y'all. This is our defense. Like Chad Thomas is ready to break out. Like this is a front seven that I think is one of the best in the ACC. Like not quite on the Florida State Clemson level yet, but certainly right up there with NC State as like a top four group. Yeah, I think in some ways this is a survival year for Miami because they got to get to they got to get to eight, hopefully nine wins. But they're not going to win anything meaningful. They're not going to win a national championship this year. They're probably not going to win an ACC championship this year. And and I think because and I think the quarterback position is the reason why. But if they can get through this year and get to to nine wins, hopefully for them, then they've got a chance next year. If maybe Nikosi Perry has gotten some snaps, gotten a couple starts, improved as the year went on, 
then next year could be something special. Because then all those guys that played as freshmen are back. Amon Richards is back at receiver. they got plenty of time on the backfield. Next year could be uh, the U is back type of year. And uh, I, so I, I, in some ways, for the sake of college football, hope that we get to see Nikosi Perry and hope that he's at least solid, <laughs> like at least acceptable out there. All right. Well, speaking of quarterback battles, we are about to get uh, Wes Rucker weighing in on the Tennessee quarterback position and other questions. So because we are talking about big questions, you know, we're going to the premier expert 24 seven sports Barton. We got to, we got to welcome Wes Rucker to the house. The first 24 seven sports uh, team writer to the show. Wes, how we living, man? Pretty well. Although I gotta, I gotta tell you, I hope uh, there's better headliners coming after me. (laughs) I gotta say that much. You're the great one, Wes. Come on, man. And you're down there in Knoxville where there's all kinds of craziness going on. No one knows what to expect. You got, We got boots on the ground. We started off this show to talk about big questions around college football. And, man, there, there's not many bigger questions. Uh, many more teams, I guess, with more questions is a better way to put it than than University of Tennessee. So, uh, man, let's dig in. Like, what what's – I think right from the, right from the top – you got to begin at the quarterback. I mean, wh- where do things stand? You know, the the assumption, my assumption is that Quentin Dormady is going to be the starter. But, of course, you know, Jared Guarantano's got all kinds of hype about how talented he is. There's even some some consideration about a two-quarterback system, it seems like, is, is trickling out. So, so give us kind of the lay of the land about the quarterback situation and, and what you expect this fall. Well, you're right, Barton. That, that's there, this is a team full of questions. Uh, th- that's in an SEC East full of questions. But in that quarterback position at Tennessee, certainly, you know, one of the most uh, interesting ones there. Now, I think personally, I think that it's going to be Dormady, and I think that exiting spring camp, uh, I continue to hear behind the scenes that Dormady was was probably the leader there. And I don't think anyone wants to say it publicly because you've seen like at the situation with Bama last year, uh, that a quarterback will occasionally pick up his ball and go home if he's not the starter even during a season. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think they want to make sure both guys are happy and both guys are committed to the program long term. But I, I still think that uh, Dormady is probably the the clubhouse leader there, and I don't think it's a situation that, that he's just a, a, quote, game manager guy. I, I don't really like that label. I don't want to sound like Saban here, but I don't really love that label because – uh, it sounds like it's a criticism when it's not, but uh, even if that were a criticism, I don't think it would apply to Quentin Dormady. I think he's a guy who has a big time arm, uh, can make every single throw in the book, 6'4, 230, great presence, uh, just kind of looks like a central casting quarterback that you would order if you were doing a, a movie about the SEC. I, I think there's a lot of ability there, and I think he's a better athlete than people think, too. I, I think he could pleasantly surprise some people. Why do you think yeah. that? Uh, why do you think that he would? be uh surprised like what makes quentin dormany fly below the radar right now in your opinion well i mean the short answer to that chip is is, is got to be just the recruiting rankings that, that's you know and i don't blame people for feeling this way because i'm going to toot our own horn here for our network of 24 7 sports but our guys you know we're making this thing much more of a science than never has been before you know it's always going to be an art but but we're making it a better science we're, we're getting this stuff right more often than not and when you see a guy come in as the number one dual threat quarterback prospect in the nation people are going to get excited you know people deserve to get excited about that i don't blame them for that and dormity was a guy who you know was injured his senior year of high school or his junior year rather i think and uh, just did not you know he didn't play at the best high school in Texas he didn't have a great offensive line in front of him he just didn't he never kind of you know blew up at people uh, when he was a prospect in, in certain ways but i think 
think ever since he showed up at Tennessee, uh, he's been kind of a, a wild guy behind the scenes. And, and I think he's a guy who, you know, I could be wrong. He can go out there and just completely, uh, you know, mess down his leg. But I, I think that he's a guy who's going to go in there and play pretty well. Well, and, and you know, to follow up on the rankings thing, like people forget, like Quentin Dormady was actually a four-star 24-7 sports. So to think he's going to be yeah, pretty he good. You know, he, he's we have expectations for him, too. It's just that's just a testament to, you know, how hyped Guarantano was. And, and I want to follow up a little bit on on Jared. I mean, is where are we at in his progression? Because it feels like just sort of the sense I get is that Quentin Dormady is is the, the more sure thing, the safer bet right now. But Guarantano still got all kinds of talent. Is is he how close do you get the sense that he is to being ready to go? And 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 how much of that has to do with sort of his ability to lead the team and his ability to uh, to take charge from the you know the, the mental side and the and the leadership side of things. Well, I think that that if you were to go out there and just watch some B roll of practice or just watch the first few periods of practice, you would think that Garantano was the the guy. He's, he's the guy who pops out at you athletically. You know, he's he's every bit of six four two hundred. Uh, has an absolute cannon of a right arm. Arm, spins the ball beautifully. Uh, you know, when you just watch them do the routes on air and, and some of those, you know, one-on-one drills, he looks really, really good. There's no doubt about that. That's where you see that that ranking. You know, that's why you can justify that because you look at him and you go, wow. You know, but but then I think the more defenders you put on the field, I think the looser he gets with the ball. Uh, that's been the problem in the past. And and you know, when when you get to seven on seven, you get a better feel than you do against one-on-one. And then when you get eleven on eleven, uh, you get a better feel. And then when you get eleven on eleven in pads, you get a much better feel. And I think that Dormady's just safer with the ball. I don't really like cliches, but the older guys just kind of taking better care of the ball. And I think that's something that that if Garantano can do that. Um, and the other thing is Dormady is a quieter guy by his nature, but he's a really good leader. Uh, he just kind of walks in the room. He's got that good presence. Uh, he's confident, but he's not cocky. Uh, he'll pull all guys off to the side and talk to him. He knows his teammates, knows their families. He's just kind of that, that, that program kind of guy. And I think Garantano um, – just has a little bit of a ways to go there. And I don't think, I think that's more of a reflection of the good things Dormany's done than anything bad Garantano's done. It's just that Dormany's the older guy and I think he acts like it. You've got a staff under Butch Jones that has done a good job of getting high quality recruits and bringing them to Knoxville. But you've also had a couple seasons where injuries have plagued the Vols and where you look at the window of when Tennessee was expected to win the SEC East, uh, even projected at media days before, uh, sometimes you could look at the injury issues as a reason why they haven't been able to fulfill those expectations. Um, Where do you think those players who maybe have seen the field a little bit earlier than expected, like what is the mindset of those guys? Because there is a line of thinking uh, and something that Bart and I have discussed on this podcast is like, Tennessee might be a team that could sneak up on you. And I don't know, looking at the schedule, whether or not you're going to feel confident uh, for them to really break out in a a national way in terms of breaking two double-digit wins, but there are a lot of high-quality players that Butch Jones and his staff have brought in that have gotten to see the field early. Do you think that that gives them a little bit of an edge, particularly when you get into an SEC East where, like you mentioned earlier, a whole bunch of questions all across the division? Oh, there's no question about it. And I think the the simplest way I can put it is this. You know, Tennessee has been beaten up by injuries the past couple of years, and that has had a direct impact on the team. That's not an excuse. That's just a fact of life. But uh, I do think this. I think when coaches talk about being at a place for, you know, a third year, fourth year, fifth year, the longer that you're at a program, the more you start to build what you want to have 
built from the beginning. And, and Tennessee, the past couple of years, has had a first-team lineup. If everybody's healthy, they can scare you. But when you start taking guys off here and there and guys get injured, they don't really have that kind of program depth that a place like Ohio State or Bama usually has where, you know, you, you can lose a couple guys here and there, but but there's just a lot of talent behind them and there's a system and a philosophy and a comfort. Tennessee uh, has not, in the first couple of years that Butch Jones was there, he was recruiting all these great players and they had to go play immediately. And the, I think they've done a good job targeting guys. And, and I just think I was looking at it like going into preseason camp, uh, maybe the top two middle linebackers on that team are guys like Darren Kirkland Jr., Daniel Batuli. They're both hurt to start camp. They're not there. But when you're start. Tennessee, yeah, and, and you can roll out other guys. You can roll out, you know, uh, like a Will Ignat out there. You can throw a jumper out there, Cortez McDowell, uh, you know, Dylan Bates. You can start throwing out five, six, seven guys. And they're good players. You know, the last couple of years, the last decade at Tennessee, when you've seen the starters on starters, you go, huh, hey, that team looks pretty good. Then you look at the twos and you go, eh, eh. And then you look at the threes and go, is this even SEC football anymore? This is where Tennessee's come a long way, I think. And I think I've noticed that a lot just the first couple of days of this year's camp, that they do have more depth there. They have more options. They have more guys that can come scare you when you're not, you know, when you're not seeing their best, you're still seeing pretty good. And that's what championship kind of contenders need to have. And, and I think Tennessee, you know, with bringing in a guy like Rod Gullickson, the strength coach, uh, spent a great deal of time in the NFL, was a really respected guy there. Uh, that was a really good get for Tennessee. And I think that when you start stacking classes the way they have and you start, you know, kind of changing your strength and conditioning program to fit more modern needs, I think you start to see a team that looks like a, an actual program more than a team. Wes, like, so here's my thing with Tennessee, and, and Chip talked about it a little bit, but in order for Tennessee, I, I actually Tennessee's got a chance to be really good this year because I know how much talent they have on the roster. When I watch your videos from Go Vols 247 and, and watch the B-roll. Yo, shout out and, Go Vols 247. <laughs> Go check out Go we'll Vols 247. We'll yeah. Yo, when, that, when I watch the, the film, like, those guys look like, they, like you said, they look like SEC players. The talent's there. I've seen these guys in high school. They're all ranked high. The talent's there, but I think what what we missed last year was they they did that that team had some give up in them. Like they had some they, they didn't really have some of their their biggest grinders. I guess got hurt. You know they, there were some young guys that had to step up. Maybe they weren't ready um, mentally. So I guess you know my question for you. I think this team could be really good, but they've got to have a chip on their shoulder. They got to be gritty. They got to be tough. And I think that this is they're sort of overlooked in an under underdog team right now. So I guess my question to you is. You know, you got boots on the ground. You see these guys. You talk to them, and you can't really tell until there's a real game. But do you get any sort of sense that this team is different from a mentality standpoint, from a a you know something to prove standpoint? Can can you tell that yet? Yeah, I think it's a good question, Barton, because you know last year Tennessee just didn't have a championship mentality. You know, uh, I remember I, I'm probably showing my age here. I started covering this program back when Philip Fulmer was the coach and they were really good. And Tennessee, every year there were a couple games. It was against a Kentucky or a Vanderbilt or South Carolina. They'd go out there and play like just slaw. They would just be terrible, but they would do just enough to win because they were winners. And that's what winners do. They figure out a way to win when guys are hurt, when they're sore, when they're not at their best. And last year against South Carolina and Vanderbilt, even with all those injuries, Tennessee had had no excuse. It needed to win those games, and it, it just didn't have the toughness to do it. And I think that's something that that was a little bit of a humble pie for some of these guys. I think this team has, as best I can tell, has a little bit less of a sense of entitlement, maybe. And I don't mean that last season's team was was you know just so full of itself all the time, but you had some personalities who maybe the you know the, maybe the shine was a little bit too much for them. And I think 
you got some some guys now, some upperclassmen who have tasted that feeling, and it's sour. When you beat Georgia in Florida and you don't win the SEC East, man, that that's like you're really celebrating, but you're not because you didn't win anything. You, you, you can win games. Can you win a championship? And I think that, that coming up short like that in a way that they did, I think that rubbed a lot of these guys the wrong way. Now, does, do they have the, the leadership to go out there and, and make that happen and keep that mentality when they've gotten a little bit bruised, when they've gotten a little beat up? That's when you can tell. Uh, you can always tell a front runner when things start going badly, and there's always going to be adversity. And does this team have it? I could see it, but they're going to have to go out there and prove it. I'm, I'm not I'm, – last year I fell for it, and I picked them to win the East. And I did I'm not – to do that with this team until I just I see more you know Florida just grinded out the East the last couple of years just you know found a way go to LSU win those games just grind it out win ugly uh, Tennessee didn't do that and until Tennessee goes out and does that it's gonna be hard for me to pick Tennessee to win the East all right so what about the champions of life like we've got this weird situation where Butch Jones has become uh in the college football culture uh, a little bit of a lightning rod for commentary and whether that is from like the jokes to the actual analysis or just a reaction to the fact that he is taking this super optimistic view and the the champions of life and everything else that comes with that view of the world like where does that trickle down to the roster because like you just mentioned this is a this is a team that needs to be able to find a way like no if if you were to rank for example Dennis Dodd he does his hot seat rankings I, mm-hmm. I, Ke- Kevin someone's at the top of the hit list right now in the SEC I don't think that Butch Jones is anywhere close to the 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 Kevin Sumlin level in terms of where people are looking at uh, the jobs that are going to open up but it is certainly. Uh, a spot that I think it has a lot of national attention, particularly going into this year, particularly after the window has supposedly closed. Like, where does that optimism trickle down with the roster in terms of being able to have that edge, in terms of being able to have that championship mentality? Because you mentioned being able to, like, when you're playing like Slaw, be able to get out. I like that phrase a lot. But, like, when you're able to get that win, like, where where is this team in your opinion? You know, that's a great question. And, and every time I start talk, you know, waxing poetically about this subject, Butch ends up getting angry with me. But, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and say it again. I, I think that, you know, Dabo Swinney, a lot of other guys come out there and say those exact same phrases. They do. But those guys have won more games and so they get less crap for it. That's basically the nicest way I can put it. No, is that, hey, hey, no doubt. Listen, I've, I, you know me, like I'm, I'm here in ACC country. Like I've listened to Dabo preach all the those same sort of uh, – you know, I, I call you know what I call them, Wes. I call them needlepoint phrases because it's the same yeah. phrases that your grandma probably put on a needlepoint and framed up in their house one day. Mm-hmm. Like, like these are yeah, these, you know, these it, are needlepoint phrases. Yeah, there, there's and again, there is some science to what they're doing there because these these coaches, it's amazing with the budgets they have and the things they can look at and study and have studied for them, and they know that. That, that players in this era, kids in this era. Heck, I've got a brother who's a college senior and incredibly smart kid. Doesn't read books. You know, the attention spans are so short that if you can't get their attention with just a few words, you're probably not going to get their attention. And that's just how it is. So I think to that extent, I think he's trying to reach the players that way. So I do understand that part of it. The problem is uh, I think Butch just has a problem publicly admitting anything is wrong ever. I think he views it as a sign of weakness. I think he just doesn't, you know, you ask him specifically all the time, you know, he'll tell you, I could have done something better. And then you say, okay, what could you have done better? 
and then he'll never give you a specific because he just, you know, the way he works in the public eye is he just, that's just not how he rolls. He's not going to do that. But I think that, that he's a little bit different guy when he's actually coaching the team. And I think they see the fangs come out a little bit more. I think they see that the way that he'll challenge them. I, I, I think that part of it, I think it gets overblown because Butch puts himself in that position because of the way he acts publicly. Uh, he doubles down on things he shouldn't have said to begin with. Uh, he is who he is. And if it works, if you're winning, it sounds great. Uh, when things get tough, you, you starts to get on your nerves a little bit. That's just how it is. And I don't think that he's in imminent danger of losing his job here or anything like that. I think when you look at where the program was four or five years ago and you look at it now, you go, I don't know why I'd fire that guy. But he puts himself in these positions because he says things he just shouldn't say probably. And whether or not it's fair is totally irrelevant to the fact that it, that's what it is. It doesn't matter if it's fair. Fair's got nothing to do with it. Perception-wise, it is what it is, and it's going to make things tougher for him until he wins big. One thing Butch has done a good job of is, is he's acknowledged where he's need to change, and he's been willing to change. And he's he, this this coaching staff has turned over a ton, and and after seeing the spring and being around the program in the in the summer, and now you know we're only a practice or two in this this fall. But where are you noticing? the biggest differences on the coaching staff? Like what, what coach has initiated the, the most uh, change, I guess, is the, is the best way to phrase this. Like, are you noticing anywhere where like things feel totally different because of this particular coach? I think it's a really good question, Barton. And, and I think if the cop-out answer would be that I think maybe strength coach Rock Gullickson. That's uh, not a cop-out. Yeah, that's a good one. just stands out at me. But but when you look at the actual full-time, the football position coaching staff, the coordinators, I don't know that I've ever covered a staff that has four former FBS head coaches on it. That's a lot. you got four guys on this team who have been a head coach at the FBS level, and you just, you just don't see that very often. And, and I think that that – lends itself to a lot of questions being answered that you know when you're a head coach it feels like the loneliest job in the world it really does and you know you, things come across your desk every day that you've never had to answer before and you're dealing with everything from your players to the players obnoxious parents to you know university presidents and chancellors who speak a different language not english sometimes it's just kind of they speak like you know they're just academic people they're not real world people and you run into all these different kinds of things. Players get in trouble. Players have problems uh, in school. Someone fails a drug test. Someone's slacking in the classroom. You know, someone stays out too late, breaks curfew. You, you got to figure out how to handle every situation. And you just don't always have the answer. And when you got four head coaches on your staff, you got people who have answers. Even if you've never experienced it, they might have. And I think that makes everything feel a little smoother. Like I never get the impression you know, from watching their practice or watching just sort of the structure of the program, I don't ever think that they're disorganized. I think that they have a plan, and I think that helps a lot because that gives you a foundation feeling that lets everyone be secure in what they're doing, and you feel comfortable. You know who people are. You know, you kind of become a family, and families have their problems. They always do, but uh, I think that the organization has gotten a lot better. And I think that, you know, you look at guys like um, Charlton Warren joining the staff, who's never been a head coach before, but he's going to be, he could be a head coach pretty soon. I, I like this guy a lot. He's got a great, you know, he spent 10 years on active duty in the Air Force, and then he became a coach. Uh, he was the captain of the Air Force Academy football team. You talk about character, you talk about responsibility, leadership. The guy's got all that stuff in spades. I think he's helped a lot with the defensive backfield. Um, I think the the quarterbacks have really enjoyed working with Mike Canales. I think a lot of these guys who have come in, just like the defensive line with Brady Hoke, 
I think these guys like their staff for the most part. I think they like their position coaches, and I think they trust their position coaches. And if the players don't trust the staff, you're going to have problems. And I think this that these this this group of players trust the staff a little bit better. All right, Wes, I'm going to put your feet to the fire a little bit. So I one, another reason again where I think this this team's got a chance to be really good is like I look at the defensive starting lineup and it's a bunch of it's it, like I think nine of the projected starters were four or five star guys. Like the talent is absolutely there, but the the flip side of that is these guys haven't shown up yet. So I, I'm going to say. If, if I give you the names, Kyle Phillips, Khalil McKenzie, both five stars, Jonathan Kongbo, five star. Those are three guys that, I mean, Kongbo, look, we all, I don't know that we should have expected him to blow up year one, but the other guys, certainly, I think we would have expected to see more of by now. If I give you those three names, like who are you going to put your, uh, you know, your, your monthly check on to bet, all right, this is going to be his breakout year. I think we got a pretty good shot that this guy – the, the light turns on this year. Who, who's your pick? Monthly check. Guys? Make it make it serious. <laughs> now, it, if I knew he would stay healthy, I could say Kyle Phillips, but I don't know that he'll stay healthy because he he's always had a hard time with that. So I'll say Kong. I think he's a guy who he's back to playing defensive end, which, hey, I think he'd be an all-world three technique if he'd just keep the weight on and, and embrace that position. But he doesn't want to play there. Uh, he wants to play defensive end. And I think he can do that, too. I think he can be a really nice player. But you mentioned those three names. I think the guy who gets the most sacks on this team might end up being another former top 24-7 prospect, uh, and that would be uh, defensive end Daryl Taylor. I think he is a really phenomenal athlete. I think off the edge he could he could wreak a lot of havoc. Uh, he, he's a kind of an alpha male mentality. I, I like that guy a lot i think there's a chance he could lead the team in sacks but between all those guys um it's hard to judge ends versus tackles because they just have different roles and ends always get bigger stats but uh if i had to pick one i guess i'd pick combo Wes, what what's the deal with khalil mckenzie like why hadn't he why has he not been a factor yet is it just all about injury is it all about staying in shape what, what what's he missing well you know he got hurt last year and that was that was tough because, you know, Shai Tuttle, who might be the best, the most talented defensive lineman on this team, has had two catastrophic injuries the past two years, uh, and he's still not fully cleared to get back. It might be early in the season, midway point of the season before he really gets out there. But but with Khalil, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's times where I look at him and I think, man, you would be so good at guard, but, you know, they need him at defensive tackle, and he wants to play defensive tackle. Uh, and he's got the strength to pull it off. Now, I think that, that if he would, maybe, maybe if he were in a 3-4 and he were sitting on the nose, I think that long-term in the NFL might be a better fit for him. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just been, you know, sort of staying healthy. I, I think it's been, you know, making sure that he's focused all the time because he's a great kid, but you know, he just, sometimes he needs to be a little more focused. And uh, I think he could, you know, maybe put in a little bit more work in the past in terms of improving his, his flexibility, his knee bend, those kind of things. But in terms of pure talent, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of it. And I think he's going to be a good player. It's just that, and I said this, Right after Khalil McKenzie and Shai Tuttle got there, all the talk was about McKenzie before they got there. And then when they both got there, boy, you started hearing a lot more talk about Tuttle. And uh, I think that was as much an indication that Tuttle was really good more than McKenzie was overrated. I don't think he's overrated at all, but I think he's a guy who uh, could end up being a solid player. But, yeah, I mean, it's was he ready for the spotlight as soon as he was put there? No, but most kids aren't. All right, Wes, before uh, we let you go home to pick out some paint colors, we got to talk about uh, the over-under win total. One of the things that we've had a lot of fun doing here in the first episodes of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast has been going over or under on the Las Vegas win totals. So we've got a Tennessee team that has the Atlanta game against Georgia Tech, 
Uh, we are on the road against Florida, but you finished the season at home against LSU and Vanderbilt, and the over-under win total is seven and a half. What is your record prediction for Tennessee this season? Boy, this could change a lot over the next few weeks, but if you're asking me right now... Right now, right now, we are recording this right now on July 30th, so you can... I will timestamp this. We are going to post this on Monday. Uh, you, you can make whatever prediction you want, and we can change it as the season goes on. The, the way that I keep... You know, every I go into a season, and I usually have a pretty good idea, or at least in my head, it sounds like a good idea. It might be a terrible idea, but I usually go into camp and then into a season with a pretty good feel in my head for what I think a team will be. And I've been all over the place with this team, maybe more than any team that I've ever covered. It's just, you know, would 10 and two shock me? No. Would seven and five shock me? No, it wouldn't. Neither of those things would shock me at all. Uh, if I had to guess right now, I would say eight and four. Um, and that's because I think, you know, it is what it is. Tennessee's got to play the, the probably the top two teams in the West, and they're the only team in the East that has to do that. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, so I think those two are going to be losses. Uh, and then when I think you look at Georgia and Florida – maybe win one of those, lose one of those, and then maybe pick up another loss along the way. I think eight and four, uh, I think eight and four sounds about right. I think anything like six and six, seven and five, that would maybe surprise me a little bit. If I had to guess right now, I think seven and a half is the perfect place to put the over under. And I would say over. I'm with you. Ooh, Wes Rucker. Well, hey, so, so if we're wrong, we're wrong together, brother. Hey, we were wrong together last year, though. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, we try were. To, let's try to get one right this year, man. Well, in fairness, no one in the SEC, no one's, I think, ever picked the SEC East champion correctly. I think the media is like over a million trying to do that. The SEC East is so stupid. I hate the SEC East. I cannot figure it out. It's impossible to predict, but I do. That, and that's and, and and that in and of itself is a big reason why I think Tennessee could be really good because. There's no, no one, one thinks it's gonna, yeah. No one thinks it's gonna happen this year. I mean, let's yeah. hey hey let let's reach one consensus. It's the only roster. It's the only roster in the East that I think compares decently with Georgia's. Oh, but but see, that's the thing, Wes. Is like because everyone's on Georgia, the SEC East theorem says that that's going to be the one team that definitely won't win it, right? Yeah, sorry, Florida. You know, the last <laughs> two years you've been counted out and you won it anyway, and uh, you know uh, it looks like people are going to be counting them out again because they're going to pick. Georgia, but um, you know, I, I think that, gosh, I think it makes the most sense that Georgia would win the East because I like the schedule a lot better, if nothing else, and I like sort of the proven skill guys there. But you know, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, you know, any of those three, I would not be surprised. Now, if it were someone else, that would surprise me a lot. But any of those three, that wouldn't surprise me. Wes, you're the best. Thank you so much. We will be sure to get you back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, thank you. Go home. Enjoy enjoy I the rest I'll, of your Sunday. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go pick out paint colors now. I'm looking, I'm looking really, I'm really looking forward to it. If you're listening <laughs> right now, Lauren, I'm really, really happy about all of this. Be decisive, Wes. <laughs> go gray or go home. 